further announcements or greetings, let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, it's so good to be able to gather in thy presence now in this afternoon hour. We thank thee for the spiritual food we received this morning already, and uh, we anticipate now a few more crumbs from thy rich table. Heavenly Father, be with us this uh, morning, this afternoon hour now, as, as we would gather our hearts and thoughts to look into thy word together and bless us from the same. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Just based on um, one of the uh, hymns we just finished singing, the second to last one, <clears throat> about Know Ye the Son, uh, I triggered a passage in my mind, and I'd like to open to Luke's Gospel, chapter 20. starting from verse uh, 27. Luke, chapter 20, starting with verse 27. Then came to him, that is Jesus, certain of the Sadducees, which deny there is any resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If any man's brother die, having a wife, and he die without children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. There were therefore seven brethren, and the first took a wife and died without children, and the second took her to wife, and he died childless. And the third took her, and in like manner the seven also, and they left no children, and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, Whose wife of them is she? For seven had her to wife. Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection." Now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he calleth the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. For he is not a God of the dead, but of the living. For all live unto him. Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast well said. And after that, they durst not ask him any question at all. And he said unto them, How say they that Christ is David's son? And David himself saith in the book of Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore calleth him Lord. How is he then his son? Then in the audience of all the people, he said unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses and for a show make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation.
I've read a longer section of the scripture, but I'd like to begin with, <clears throat> with uh, Jesus' question to the, to the Sadducees that were there and those that were gathered there. He says, how say they that Christ is David's son? This is a thorny issue for the Jews even of today that do not believe in the Messiah. Jesus Christ, that is. Jesus points out a glaring inconsistency in their understanding. They were expecting a son of David. David, of course, was the shepherd boy taken from the sheep coats, as it says in the, uh, uh, in the scripture, and made king over Israel, a great military leader, a mighty man of valor, a psalmist, and a man of God. That's who they were expecting, the son of David. But Jesus took the trouble to point out to them something that they had overlooked. David therefore called him Lord. How is he then his son? David refers to this coming one as his Lord. That's a problem. In ancient cultures and in Jesus' day, the forebearer was always honored over his descendants. The Pharisees loved to refer to themselves as children of Abraham. Abraham is our father, they said to Jesus, <clears throat> pointing at the greater. If you remember at the, uh, the woman of, of uh, Sychar at Jacob's well, in, in the Samaritan woman at the well there, <clears throat> she said, art thou greater than our father Jacob? And Jesus had to confound their understanding. You know, he, he said to them, a greater than Abraham is here. A greater than Moses is here. Christ could not just be the son of David. He had to be more. And the words of the hymn are very appropriate. Know ye the son. Know ye the son. Do you know who this one is? If you have a wrong understanding about him, everything will be off for you. As it was for the ancient Jews that were looking for a Messiah that would rescue them from Rome. That wasn't the case. The reason that I, I'm thinking along these lines also is based on this morning's sermon. Paul forwent receiving funds from the church to support his life. And he did that that no one could make any accusation against him. Christ also put himself at a disadvantage when he came here. Though it was for a different reason. Though he came to suffer in our place, though he came to offer the sacrifice that was necessary for all of us, he came to do more than just that. He also came to show the Father to us. 
that we could understand God. And he set aside his glory. He stooped, as it were, to join us here below. He experienced the same things that we experience. He felt hunger. He felt thirst. He felt pain. He wept. All of these things he came to share. And it was necessary because this son of David was also the son of God. He came to experience what we experience, but he also came to show us the father that we could not experience or understand fully outside of Christ. This dual nature of Christ, fully God yet fully man, is unique in all the religions of the world. You won't find it elsewhere. And though these two sections that I've read may seem disconnected, I don't, I don't see that. I think there is something more here that pulls them together. And forgive me, I did not prepare a sermon ahead of time, but I'd like to try to draw these two accounts together because I see there something greater. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes that were there questioning Jesus, looking to um, confound him, to confuse him, to make him appear foolish, their problem was a wrong understanding of God, an incomplete understanding of God. And that put them at a, at a, at a disadvantage. It, and because, like building on a bad foundation, everything that they built on top of that now was going to be skewed, crooked, off. Christ had to go back to the foundation. How can this son of David be referred to by David as his Lord? Another scripture that is, is similar from the Psalms is, you know, kiss the son lest he be angry with thee. This, this son was not going to be simply just a descendant, but was in fact the son of God. He was God come in the flesh. So like I said, they had an incomplete understanding of God, and that put them at a disadvantage. This first section that we read about the seven brothers and the wife, the problem there also was an incomplete understanding, a wrong foundation on which to build. And I'd like to spend a little bit of time thinking about this because I, I see in here something that is hopefully useful to all of us here that are gathered together and those even worshiping with us online. This past year and a half, I would say the, the, the defining emotion, maybe, of this last year and a half or so has been fear, anxiety, mostly connected with the pandemic, but also found in other things, in job situations perhaps, uh, um, health, uh, separation, whatever the case may be, but anxiety and fear. And Christ takes the time with these Sadducees to explain their wrong thinking. First of all, they thought they could confound him on the subject of the res resurrection. The, the Sadducees did not believe in any angels nor in the resurrection. And so they gave this account as a way to stump Jesus. 
It's interesting to read Jesus' answer carefully. He says, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage. So there he explains the framework for marriage and what it was designed for. Marriage did not exist until there were humans, flesh and blood humans. And once it existed, it was meant for the society of those two people, our first parents. And with their passing, with the passing of one of them, I don't know who died first, Adam or Eve, that marriage bond was dissolved. It was for the living, for people. That's for the children of this world. But then listen to Christ's answer. He, he could have stopped there, right? He could have simply laid that out and said, look, marriage is only for this wife, life. Why are you asking me this question about this wife and her husbands? But he goes on to tell us more. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world. That should have given them pause right there. So there's another world coming, and there's a qualification to enter it. You must be worthy to enter that second world. It's not enough to simply deny the resurrection and say this life is it. There is another world coming. So your, your, your premise is wrong. The foundation on which you're building is wrong. And worse than that, you need to understand what will make you worthy to enter that world to come. It's not enough to just simply deny its existence. And the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die anymore. Let's just pause for a moment. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now, some of a lesser spiritual understanding might find that very hard, might find that something to stumble at. This is exactly why the Mormons came up with their doctrine of uh, eternal marriage, and to get around this issue. For some that are happily married here, to lose their marriage partner, not be connected to them in some special way in the world to come, sounds like a loss, sounds like a tragedy. But it again is based on a wrong understanding of the truth of God. In a darkened room, if this room was dark, and we were to light a candle and put it in the middle of the room, it would give light. We would, that, that the effect of that candle would be instantly um, under, understood, seen. That's like marriage in this world, a light-giving, beautiful thing in a world of darkness. But if you take that same lit candle outside into the sunlight, it still gives off light. But in the, in the light of the greater light of the sun, the small light from the candle pales in comparison. This is where Christ came, I think, to show us the Father. Do you think that the love that you could have for another human being is greater or less than the one whose very name is love? 
don't think of it as a loss. Think of it as a gain. That small glimmer of love that you may experience now between two happily married people pales in comparison to what we will feel in the presence of the one who is love itself. And that love will no longer need to be confined, uh, limited to only one person, but can now be shared freely with all of God's children. Read the words of some of our hymns in the Zion's Harp that talk about death. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? We even have a hymn in our hymnal that's called Sweet Death, Come Thou. A longing to be reunited with that, that one who is love itself, himself. So much of what we fear, no, everything that we fear is based on an incomplete understanding. of what really is. With the proper perspective, we would have no fear, except for one. Scripture tells us the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And there, there, that is legitimate fear because we can never fully understand God. So f to fear him is, it has, has grounds, has weight. Everything else can be put in a, in a, in a lesser bucket compared to God. When we know and we understand that God really is control, in control, then there is nothing left to fear. And Christ himself said, don't fear those that can harm the body and then can do nothing. Fear him who after he has destroyed the body can cast soul and body into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear ye him. That's the one, the only one we need to fear. Everything else, every other fear is really an illegitimate fear an unnecessary fear, a fear that will become a burden to us if it becomes all-consuming. I'm not, to say, not saying be rash or be foolhardy, no. But put it in its proper place compared to one who is so great and so loving. It's interesting to see how Christ words his answer here. Neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. He basically turns to the Sadducees and says, you are not children of God. If you cannot believe in the resurrection, you are not children of God. One of the, I remember hearing one of the proofs of the immortality of the soul is a simple one, and I like it. It goes something like this. God is all-powerful. We take that as an axiom, as a truth. We know that God said of Abraham that he was his friend. So if one who is all-powerful has a friend, and that friend will die, do you not think that the one who is all-powerful will not do something for his friend? And I like that. It's a little piece of medieval logic, but it's elegant in its simplicity, and it shows us a little, a little hint, a little glimmer, a little peephole into the character and the nature of God. 
And so this is why it's so important. When, when Christ addressed his detractors, those that were trying to um, uh, confuse him, he always went back to basics. He always went back to the foundation and showed them how the problem was in the foundation that they had built upon. Just shortly before here, we can read the, the parable of the, uh, of the, or not the parable, the, the, the question about the tribute money. And Jesus had to say, look at the tribute money. Whose image is on there? And he said, Caesar's. And he said, well, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But give to God the things that are God's. Now the question, the unspoken question he left with them was, whose image do you bear? Whose image were you made in? That's the one you owe. Always back to the foundation. That's what I love about Jesus' teachings. Not complicated logic. Not elaborate discourses. Cutting and direct right to the root. That was always his way. Now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he calleth the Lord the God of Abraham and of Isaac and the God of Jacob, for he is not a God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him. What a simple, powerful answer. These people that stumbled with the idea of the resurrection, he had to take them back to one of the most basic passages of Scripture known by any Hebrew schoolboy. The account of that day when Moses approached the bush that burned and was not consumed. They all knew what, it, what the, the passage was about. And Jesus takes them back to that moment and says, don't you realize what was going on here? He was, God himself declared himself to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not the one who was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he says, for all live unto him. I like that. So simple. You know, just a short time ago, we said farewell to our sister Julia. And we think of her now in the past, except God doesn't think of her that way. She lives unto him, as we all do. Departure from this world is only to go through a temporary curtain, then on to that world to come, prepared or not. <clears throat> this proper understanding of God, who he is, what, he, what his attributes are, is foundational to healthy Christian living. With the wrong understanding of God, you will always end up in a wrong place. There are those who uh, would like to think of God only as a God of mercy, and they end up in error on the side of leniency. There are those that think of God only as a God of judgment and end up with a harsh and legalistic God. The truth is found in his word. We just need to return to what it says here. Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast well said. When the truth of God 
is explained in this way. There is nothing more to be said. Now, it comes down to the one who has asked the question. What will you do with this? Will you believe? The answers are so simple and so direct, so cutting, so wise, that even his adversaries had to say, you've given us the truth here. There's nothing more to say. And they didn't even bother asking him any more questions. But now, at that point, there's a decision. What will you do? How will you believe? Unbelief is never a, a mental problem. Unbelief is a moral one. In the face of that teaching, in the face of a God who has something even better than the happiest marriage on this world planned for you, for one who, who cares for his friends, one who can welcome children into his arms, one who does not require blood sacrifice because that price has been paid by himself. What will you do with a God like that? What will you do with a God who stooped so low to leave courts of glory and walk the dusty streets of this world? Could there be anything more that he could do? Ask yourself that question. Could there be anything more? I haven't even touched on what he promised would come after he left, that he would send his spirit inside you. And if that weren't enough, he would leave behind a church, a church that would supply through his spirit what you will need and it will account for the weakness of each one of us. This is why the church is here. If it was unnecessary, God never would have left it for us. But he meant it for a reason. So now that he's done all of this, now that he's answered all of these deep and difficult, vexing, uncomfortable questions we may have about life and about the hereafter, and how he's shown it through his love, what will you do? What will you do? with this one who is the son of David, but also the son of God. Would a brother please select a hymn to his disciples? He said, Blessed are your eyes that see and your ears that hear these things. For I tell you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see these things, but to them it was not given. The things that Christ revealed to his disciples about his father, about what God is like, what he was doing, he put it all together for them, explaining it to them. That was something that perhaps David sitting out in the stillness of the night looking up at the sky thought about and wondered about, how was this going to be? Who exactly is this God that I serve? I know that he's great. I know that he loves me. I know that he's merciful. But what will he do 
about the human race. David saw, I'm sure David saw, that even when a righteous man was in charge of a country, the people's inclinations was still to do evil. There was the problem of evil in the heart of people that had to be dealt with. It took Christ. He was necessary to finally put it all together and present it to the world. That is the good news. That we have a loving Father that cares for us, that's good news. That we will never die, that's good news, if we accept the good news. That he has a place prepared for us, that's good news. That we need to be worthy of that world to come, but that he is the one who provides those qualifications, that's really good news. And that all we need to do is come. That's it. You know, the Bible says that he who knew and did evil will be beaten with many stripes. But to the one that did evil and didn't know as much, he's going to be beaten with few stripes. I think hell will be especially painful for those that knew the truth, that knew the good news, and did nothing about it. You will be beating yourself knowing that you had that opportunity to respond to that loving God and you did nothing about it while you were here and then it will be too late. That's how, that's how awful hell will be. I, I can't think of any torment worse than that. The, the things that I beat myself up about the most are the ones where I, I, I could have done differently and I didn't and I experienced the consequence. Those are the most painful lessons for me. If only I had just done this differently, I could have saved myself a lot of difficulty, a lot of heartache, a lot of problems. But to do that for an eternity, that's misery. But today, today is the day of grace. Today, if any man will, let him come. May the Lord add whatever was lacking. This will conclude our service.